Support for the game podcast is brought to you by StarCityGames.com, the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies and home for the best strategy content on the web. If you would like to support the game podcast, feel free to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the G-A-M podcast. Welcome to episode 97 of the Game Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Thompson. Here with me is Brian, the ceaseless hunger Gottlieb. Hello, sir. How has your week been? Dude, I'm I'm doing great. I am uh, just back from a trip visiting with my best friend, Josh Cho. We caught Hello Pokemon, played basically zero games of Magic. It was phenomenal. Uh, that's awesome. I, I also am a big fan of Josh Cho. Shout outs to him. Uh, but unlike you, I played a ton of Magic, and that is where my ceaseless hunger comes from. I, I am ceaselessly hungry for Magic right now. Deckless, games, drafting, even some sealed deck. Uh, usually I'm a sealed deck hater. Pretty much everything is hitting with me right now. Magic feels really good, and I have been playing nonstop. So, I, I mean, I actually played a little bit. I actually started dabbling in Arena, and I, like, I know that we weren't planning on talking about that at all, but do you want to talk about that a little bit? I would love to hear what you think of Arena. I, I actually think it's good. And I am kind of a hater of most things, but like the gameplay is very quick. And there are there are certainly some things that I dislike about it, absolutely. But as far as like, I mean, compared to Magic Online, Magic Online has its own problems anyway. So it's kind of whatever. But uh, I'm, I'm actually pretty happy with it. Yeah, I expected to... I was in the early, like, the earliest access you could have to arena i had and i, I played it at that point and basically i played it once and was like nope no interest in this this is going to be a disaster um and i was just wrong they did a great job over the development cycle and it's gotten to a very good place like you said the snappy games are really the highest selling point for me games of magic just happened so quickly and that's the thing about magic online is i argue in a lot of cases it just takes longer to play a game on magic online I don't feel that way about Arena. It feels like games conclude even faster than they would in paper in most instances. And that's a huge selling point for me. Yeah, I agree. I, I was right there with you. I played in the the alpha or whatever when on, on day one, it, the leg was so bad, you just couldn't do anything basically. And I was just like, yeah, okay, I'm off this. Yep. But, it just didn't feel good. That was the problem. And everything felt bad. Yep. And I, I was, I'm completely shocked. And I totally did not expect to walk away from this like, okay, I got to start building my arena account basically because I know that I at some point I'm going to want to like actually test constructed on this over Magic Online. I love that you said that because now I'm going to make us talk about this, which is why is Magic Online still going to exist? Like, do you have a good purpose for it given that arena is here? And I understand the argument is vintage legacy modern. Okay. But if that's the only reason Magic Online is going to continue to exist, that's a pretty hollow existence and one that I think does not justify uh, its continued part in the Magic ecosystem. What's your take on that? I mostly agree with you. I mean, <laughs> vintage, legacy, modern were going to be the exact three words I cited. And there are some smaller things like Cube and the throwback drafts and stuff like that. Just like having access to almost every card in Magic, I think is really cool. And... Magic Online exists, man. Like, there, there's basically no reason to shut it down, right? As long as people are still playing it. 
I can think of some reasons, but they all presume knowledge that I actually do not have. And they're mostly related to resource and how that could better be used. But that that's besides the point. I do think that it's a difficult time for Magic Online that even if there is a reason for it to exist, I have to believe Arena is going to eat some of the player base. I mean, the argument was always, no, Arena's for the casuals. It's it's not going to eat the player base. Here's you, Jerry Thompson, saying, no, I want to start playtesting standard on Arena. And I feel the same way. I'm well, right there with you. Let me say this. Uh, this. This is a thing. This is a point where I haven't reached quite yet, and I'm not sure that I'm going to get there. But I know that when I play the standard leagues on Magic Online, I'm getting actual competition. And mm-hmm. there's the occasional person in there with a budget deck or uh, a new-ish player or whatever. But most of the people who are grinding, especially when a new set comes out or before a big tournament, like you are getting actual competition. And I'm not sure what that's actually going to be like for Arena. Like maybe once I get to the top of the ladder or whatever, who knows. But uh, yeah, I've played under 30 games of Constructed on Arena thus far. So I really don't have a good feel for how relevant it, it will actually be for testing. But in an ideal world, I would much rather prefer to play on Arena on Arena than on Magic Online. Right. I mean, that you brought up exactly where I was going to go, was that if there is a ladder system that works as conventional ladder systems do, your level of competition should theoretically get very good at some point. I mean, if it's like being, if you're playing high legend Hearthstone, you're playing the best Hearthstone players in the world. In the same way, the highest level of arena ladder play should be against the best magic players in the world at some point. Now that's not there yet. And maybe that is not part of the plan. And they're going to take steps to make sure that doesn't ever become the case. I don't think so based on what I'm seeing. I mean, there is a ranking system. I don't know exactly how it works, but you do rank up as time goes on. And I have a feeling that there will be for ladder play as well. Um, I don't know. I'm still worried about magic online. I I say worried I'm not actually worried. I don't think I really care one way or another, as long as I still have access to magic, which arena very clearly is. Um, I, I just, I don't know from the beginning. I haven't known what magic online's places in the ecosystem. I know what I'm told it's places. I don't know that there's a real justification for that carve out though. Yep. And I'm, I'm mostly right there with you. Uh, I, I guess I am luckily in the camp that is not trying to play a bunch of vintage cube and legacy, uh, modern is the kind of one weird spot where it's like, I would like to be able to play modern, but for the most part, my preparation before modern tournaments is like a league or two, because I have such a, a like a fundamental knowledge of the format already that I don't necessarily need to play that many games. Right. So, and the buying cost is significant online still. So, oh that, yeah. That I mean, factors that, that, as well. that's exactly the reason why I don't have an extensive modern collection anymore. Uh, I did, and I sold it when they announced Arena. So take that for what you will. Yeah. All right. Uh, Last week, we did the first deckless dump of the new standard format. I think that went over particularly well. People seem to really enjoy that format. And it's also cool where you have little side benefits where people are like, hey, you talked about my deck. And I think that's really cool. And based on how popular it was and how much people seem to like it and the fact that this deckless dump was also something that I would describe as a little bit special. Like there are 51 decks that were posted and a lot of them were very unique and I think we should just run it back. Uh, so I'm with you. 
I'm excited to run it back. It feels a little strange. I think we've kind of prided ourselves on always moving forward, diversity of topics, making sure we're covering absolutely everything we can. But I just think this is the most valuable use of our time right now. I think the format is still congealing under us. I, you know, we have some guesses as to what's going to shake out as the top decks. And I know we've both talked about that in our articles, but really there's just a lot of value in understanding what's out there right now. And I'm sure through that discussion, we'll be able to impart, you know, what we think is successful currently in, uh, in standard and I'm all for it. Let's do it. 51 decks. Let's hit them all. Absolutely. So uh, another point is that we are definitely not going to be doing this deck list dump thing uh, until the next set is released, at least for standard. You know, if there's Mm -hmm. like a cool modern one, yeah, maybe we might do that. But yeah, like you said, for the most part, we are trying to continually move forward and everything. And we're not going to make this just the name of the show. So sure. All right. First deck day one ish. uh, We have an Abzan control deck that is it's weird I, I guess like once you go down this path, uh, it it sort of builds itself. But this is very reminiscent of the old Hour of Promise decks that were a small part of last year's standard format. Except uh, that card is noticeably absent, and there you know it's just doing like these tap out mid range things with a couple copies of Mastermind's Acquisition to find cool stuff, and has a bunch of Planeswalkers and things like Eldest Reborn at the top end. Yeah, so. It's not like I'm in love with this deck. I think there's some like structural flaws as far as overall game plan goes and some real vulnerabilities. But I do like a lot of the execution here. I think there's some discipline to the Mastermind's acquisition package. I think you could probably be a little bit more disciplined uh, and you know maybe one Mastermind's acquisition and a little bit smaller package in the sideboard might make sense. But Day One-ish did a nice job of just having powerful, broad answers to absolutely everything. And I like the inclusion of just Knight of Autumn as the creature du jour for this deck. There's a lot of ways you could go with that slot. I think Knight of Autumn does a nice job of just bridging every possible role you could want uh, from your three drop. It, It really transitions well to the four slot where you now have Karn and then ultimately the five slot where you're getting your sweepers and the Eldest Reborn. So I, I like a lot of what's going on here. Yeah, Knight of Autumn gives you a lot of utility as far as having a disenchant and having a life gain card against mono red and mm-hmm. a three mana four three is a completely reasonable beater against control. So I, I do like what this deck is doing. I think the removal package is very well thought out and they did a pretty good job of that. Like Ritual of Soot into Cleansing Nova, I think is really cool. And like those cards just punish a lot of different decks and specifically like Selesnya tokens, given that it had a very good week uh, at the SEG open. I think having a bunch of sweepers in your deck is maybe one of the best places to be right now. And I like the power level of cards in this deck too. Like that's one of my complaints. A lot of times with builds like this is that it just feels like all your cards, there's like three powerful cards and everything else is just a mishmash and, a little bit of glue to hold everything together, but it feels like there's a lot of powerful cards here. I think Karn, Eldest Reborn, Treasure Map, all these cards can be uh, game-changing, and I, I like leaning a little bit harder on more impactful effects in this style of build. Yeah, Karn is really underrated right now. I think that Karn is not showing up in enough spots. Yep, yeah, and there's some great Karn usages as we move through this entire deck oh, dump, so oh, yeah. I'm excited for that. So Next deck is by o- Oyola? Yeah, that's what I would go with. Oyola? I don't know. 
<laughs> so this is fairly normal-ish Jeskai control. Four Teferi, four Deafening Clarion, I think is an incredible package. Uh, we talked about Celesnia in the last deck, and I think that Deafening Clarion cleans up most things to the point where cards like Justice Strike or Seal Away or even like Teferi can handle the big things. So mm -hmm. I, I do like Jeskai a lot. And then one of the weird things about this deck is also the use of four Crackling Drake, which you see show up a lot of the time in a bunch of different decks, but never really in a control deck. Yeah, I would still not like to see this card in a control deck. I, I think it's being a little overrated right now. I've found its impact to be not as large as I would like. Um, I do like that you're getting some value out of your Deafening Clarion. You can really turn around some games that way. That's very cool um, and kind of leans into some of the stuff I was trying to do with Niv-Mizzet in my own Jeskai lists. But I I'm not sold on the four Crackling Drake. That's kind of my biggest objection with this list. I like a lot of what else is going on here. Um, I think Expansion Explosion is a uh, still underrated card. I, yes. I, I definitely passed on it first go around i was wrong uh as soon as i saw it in a control mirror like working as a counter spell that's when it really clicked for me this card yep. is just super versatile and uh should be a large part of control going forward i i agree completely i like that that is basically one of the decks that i'm working on right now is just guy control and i think not trying to build your deck in such a way to utilize three copies of this card is probably a mistake yep i would lean a little bit harder on it and i also like that so if you look at the package, the removal package here, you're like, oh, Deafening Clarion's going to have some trouble picking up the large creatures. You're really going to have to rely on your Justice Strikes and Teferis. That's true. But also sometimes you just expansion your Cleansing Nova, or excuse me, your Deafening Clarion, and that takes care of everything. It's a play yeah. pattern that came up a bunch of times when I was playing Jeskai, way more than I would expect it to. It's just nice to have access to. It's, it's a lot of strategic versatility that Expansion Explosion provides. Yep, definitely agree. Next deck is HZK, uh, Golgari with a very wide explore package. The full 12 explore creatures, four wild growth walkers, four chupacabra, four contempt, three fine finality, and four planeswalkers. So, I don't know, kind of, I, I guess three Isareths also, but yeah, kind of just a, a mopey take on a deck that is probably going to be around and probably going to be successful, but it's like, what is this deck really doing better than anything else? And I don't have a good answer for you. I Well, I think it's the best wild growth Walker deck, which, you know, a few weeks ago I would have laughed at. Like, why is that something you want? Uh, wild growth Walker is making its presence felt on this format in a big way. This is a card that I've dabbled with a bunch in sideboards uh, in the last format and it didn't line up quite as well at that time there's a lot better removal fatal push was a big problem it, it just died always but it's doing a much better job sticking around now and as we talk about i mean let's look at the removal from the last deck justice strike and deafening clarion well those cards stop mattering very quickly against something like wild growth walker it, it just does a great job of stemming the tide against red uh and eventually becoming a potent threat on its own so i think that's what this deck is doing it's just trying to do the hardest possible maximization of wild growth walker and i like that approach i, I think there is some value in it maybe not long term but in this formative stage where if you were in the queues last week you felt this kind of surge of mono red around midweek where it was just absolutely everywhere i played a league that was five mono red mirrors it yep. completely took over for a minute um i think that's stemming down now but at that moment you could see why you'd want to go in this direction so is playing wild growth walker as good as it is worth playing 
Seeker, Squire, and Merfolk Branch Walker alongside it? That's the question. That's definitely the question. I lean towards no, but uh, I could very easily be wrong about that. I liked um, some efforts to get gruesome menagerie in the mix with this combination of cards. I know it's something Todd Anderson was talking a lot about. And I like the instant life gain burst you get from like Wild Growth Walker, uh, Jade Light Ranger with Gruesome Menagerie. And the decks that were doing that were just basically giving up on the one drop slot. They had Llanowar Elves, but they weren't doing like Stitcher Supplier stuff whatsoever, which was surprising to me. Uh, but almost everyone arrived at that conclusion. No, that's legit. I could actually see that. That, that against a red deck, uh, assuming they don't have Experimental Frenzy or Rekindling Phoenix, like some way to kind of go over the top of you, I, I imagine that would shut the door pretty quickly. Yeah, just a wrap. Next deck is from Luca Ashok, and this is a little little Boros Dragons deck. Basically mono red, splashing uh, some Justice Strikes and uh, very, very few amount of white cards, but Runaway Steamkin, Goblin Chain Whirler, Rekindling Phoenix... I think that is like the package for these big red decks. How do you feel about Runaway Steamkin? Uh, I have come around on it. I yeah. still. Oh, hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm gonna pump the brakes a little bit. I think. No, that's that... it. That's that's good enough. We're done. We can move on. <laughs> I think there are great uses for it. I don't think it's just an auto include. Well, it is an auto include in red decks, but it's it's not at its best in every single red deck. There's somewhere it's just like a mopey kind of okay card and that's fine that's that's what red does in a lot of instances but there are some red decks which just amplify this card to an absurd degree and it becomes one of the most broken cards in the format and that i was more focused on the mopey instances than the broken instances and there right. are broken instances i mean that's what you gotta do though you gotta look at cards like this especially ones that are weird and have very unique play patterns and be like okay how can i push this like what mm -hmm. what shell would this be the best in instead of just like looking at it in, in the medium ones and just not being impressed with it you know like people are going to find ways to utilize cards to their fullest like we talked about with the last deck with wild growth walker right like that's just going to be a thing that happens Right, right. And and usually that is my deck building approach. I think the fact that this was just like a small red creature inhibited my process in some ways. I was like, okay, how am I attacking with this card? And that's not really what Runaway Steamkin is about. It's much more than that. Yep. So Demanding Dragon, Sarkin Fireblood, is that worth it as far as a big red-ish sort of package? And I know that Demanding Dragon was bugged on Magic Online. I had to play against a few of those where it was like, yeah, I would love to take five damage here, but instead you're just killing my creature every time. This is kind of unfair. Yeah, uh, it got a significant upgrade <laughs> over the past week via Magic Online bugs. I I think Sarkin Fireblood's an amazing card. Yes. And it is, it's going to be a part of this format. Uh, it's one of the more powerful Planeswalkers we have seen lately in Standard. A three-mana Planeswalker that does very, very big things. That's a big deal. It doesn't happen all the time. Uh, the last one was probably Liliana, and Liliana was fantastic and format-defining in a lot of ways. And Sarkin has the same kind of potential. He got lost in the shuffle when there were so many good red options. Now I think he deserves attention. And he's great in control decks, too. Honestly, I, I love this style of dragon build. I love Niv-Mizzet decks. There's a lot to do with Sarkin, and I don't. I think we're just seeing the tip of what Sarkin is capable of. Right Agreed. Now. I, I found it interesting the amount of times you see Sarkin with some amount of dragons just kind of lightly splashed into a deck. And I, I don't think that that's wrong necessarily. I think that that's a powerful enough package that you can explore in a lot of spots. 
Right. I, I, my Jeskai deck had three Sarkins and two Niv-Mizzets, and that was it for Dragons. And I, it still felt incredibly impactful in that deck. One of the best cards in the deck, despite that setup. Yep. So, and I got beat pretty badly by your deck on Magic Online. It, it was good. I don't know why. It's it's this weird thing early in a format where there's so many things I want to explore. I just get away from ideas sometime. Yeah. This might be one I regret getting away from. I, I think the Sarkin-style control decks can be very good. Word. Spencer Bot 15 brings us our next deck, and this is one that I expected to see a little bit more of, although this is kind of a weird version. This is a Path of Metal-centered Boros deck, uh, and the creature package is just kind of weird, where it's like Rigging Runner with only 19 creatures total, Sun Home Stalwart, which we haven't seen a lot of, but I do think is a fairly strong card, and then uh, a couple Legion War Bosses, even though it doesn't work particularly well with path of metal i guess the the first token or the tokens do but like sort of you know you have to have the path in play already so it's kind of weird uh and then yeah some direfleet daredevils tajiks lightning strike shock history of benalia and then three copies of experimental frenzy uh so some things i love about this deck some things i don't love quite as much i love experimental frenzy this card is going to be what the format is about at some point um, I would like to see more focus on the path of metal package. Like you said, I, I think there's some odd choices. Like, let's just do this as cleanly as possible. Let's maximize our path of metal. That's how I'd like to approach it. And I just don't think Legion War Boss is a good card. It has underwhelmed in every single instance I've seen it in play at this point. And Agree. I, I am just kind of ready to call it a miss. I, I think maybe a miss is harsh. I, th- I do think it has a role as like I posited early on, that switch up threat out of the sideboard where, you know, people aren't expecting a creature package and you just bring in your Legion War bosses to close the game as quickly as possible out of a control deck, say. I like that usage. Otherwise, it just gets bricked by everything. It becomes irrelevant so quickly, it's not even funny. And uh, a real miss for me thus far. Agree. So I had this experience playing Path of Metal decks where, you know, inevitably your first few creatures are going to die. And this deck has eight burn spells in addition to Path of Metal. And it just seems like you're just not going to have enough threats for it. This deck also has eight red one drops and four History of Benalia, which does really weird things to the mana. So Mm. I'm not sure that I'm exactly a fan of this style of deck. And I haven't revisited Path of Metal since I realized how good Experimental Frenzy is. So seeing those two together is pretty interesting to me where... You know, maybe maybe Frenzy does just kind of make up for the fact that you are very creature light. It's a little weird, though, in that if you have an experimental Frenzy in play, that monopolizes your mana, right? You're just dumping almost everything into that. And you can always make exceptions. Like, yeah, there's, there's going to be counter That is cases. very true. That's very true. So and you don't so necessarily... Kind of... Go ahead. Go... Oh, yeah, you don't, necessarily... <laughs> you don't necessarily need experimental Frenzy to help turn on your Path of Metal, because if your Frenzy is online, that's your engine. Right. That's all that matters. Uh, yeah. I remember I messaged you last week during my first Experimental Frenzy games, and I was just like, four Experimental Frenzy and ev- everything. It's the only card that matters ever. And that is a little bit of hyperbole, as I want to do, but man, is that card impactful when it's on the battlefield. Yep. And I've, I've had a few games, even in my treasure map dismissive Pyromancer decks, where you, know, you hit a clump of lands or a clump of uncastable spells or whatever, and it's kind of awkward, but... The, the games where you don't have that minor string of bad luck, you just go off. Like, you, yeah. there's just no shot of you losing. It's just absurd. Right. 
And I'm sure we're still like missing out, right? Like there's almost certainly way better ways to actually utilize that card and like better decks for it to go in. I do think that playing Shock and Lightning Strike alongside it instead of a bunch of like Shivan Fires and Lava Coils is almost certainly the way to go because it allows you to keep going. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's just little things like that that we need to pick up on still. I'm with you and I, I can't get Skirk Prospector and Dark Dweller Oracle out of my head. That's what I keep coming back to. And I haven't found like how to do it properly. I think the goblins, like the default goblins builds are just too soft to Chain Whirler uh, on the opposing side. But there, there's something about those cards together and just being able to absolutely go off that gets me really excited. And I want to figure out that puzzle for sure. Yeah, I haven't experimented with goblins enough. I definitely need to. Mm-hmm. Moving on, we have Nahomes with uh, another Jeskai Crackling Drake deck. And this one is a very, very light splash only for Justice Strike and Deafening Clarions. And they're focusing more on the creature aspect of things with four Enigma Drakes, two Niv-Mizzet Perrons, and two Siren Storm Tamers. Uh, love Siren Storm Tamer here. What a great way to protect your Niv-Mizzet. Um, if, you, if you get to play Niv-Mizzet on seven mana with a Siren Storm Tamer in play you probably just won the game and there's not much else going on. Um, I, I So I kind of like that. As far as the Drakes, I've I've said my piece. I think they're a little underwhelming. I'm worried about the spell count here and maybe not getting through your spells quickly enough to really make Enigma Drake a nice threat. But I do love the combination with Deafening Clarion. That's really cool. Uh, and this deck's often going to gain a lot of life very quickly. So that's a cool little pickup. Yeah, I, I definitely like that. Uh, this deck also has four copies of Charter Course, which not only play well with the Drakes, but I do think is a very underutilized card thus far, so far in the format. So that yeah. that one I'm just going to file away as like, oh yeah, I need to build more decks with this probably. Agree. But yeah, F Clarion is nice with the four toughness Drakes, but like this deck is pretty good at just killing their stuff and buying time. I don't see why you're not just playing Teferi. Mm-hmm. Next deck is Mishka 0817 with an almost mono white deck, splashing a little bit of red. This is kind of similar to the angel decks that are floating around, but just with a uh, lower red component. We don't see any copies of Rekindling Phoenix or anything, but there are some Justice Strikes, some Lightning Strikes, Clarions, Aurelias. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at this. This strikes me as like mostly angels with a Johnny added into the mix as the only real significant change, uh, at least as far as how it functionally plays out. I guess now I'll I'll say my piece about angels. I'm sure we're going to cross this deck again. I understand that if your spells line up in an appropriate order, this deck is incredibly powerful. And there are some decks in the format which just aren't equipped with the tools to beat you. That being said, I I registered this deck in a league. I made it through one game and I dropped the league. <laughs> and I was like, I never want to play this deck again. It's just that classic, like, I mean, exactly this style of deck. Red-white deck with a bunch of spells and giant creatures. And if I draw them in the right order, you will never beat me. But I'm not manipulating my deck in any way whatsoever. I'm entirely reliant on the draw on drawing cards in the proper order, and I just basically like have to hit all my land drops and curve out. Otherwise, things go very wrong very quickly. It's one of the reasons I strongly disliked playing Mardu Vehicles, even though I registered it for a couple tournaments. It was like you're trying to curve one to five. You have no ways to manipulate your draws or anything. You are mostly just hoping that things work out. But you also had access to like walking ballista gideon and avison 
and you mm-hmm. also had Thraben Inspector to help a little bit with that sort of stuff. So it was like your card quality was high. So it was kind of worth it to try and do stuff like that. And with this, with when you're trying to make like Resplendent Angel happen, I don't think it's worth it. Yeah, it sounds like we fall in the same place as far as this deck goes. I'm acknowledging its power. I do believe it deserves a place in the metagame. I am never going to play it under any circumstances. Next deck is from uh, Noril Grande. I think this is Mangucci's account, actually. Okay. So this is a Boros Militia Bugler deck and File Away Militia Bugler as another card that I need to build around more because this deck looks cool. Yeah. Uh, things like Siege Gang Commander and Aurelia work with Bugler very, very well. And other than that, it is the fairly typical white stuff that you normally see. Justice Strike, Lava Coil, History of Benalia, Ixalan's Binding. No, Binding over Conclave Tribunal is interesting. And I guess I should say Boros stuff, not white stuff. But you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. And I, like you, am impressed by Bugler here. Uh, I've been working on some Bugler stuff. Bugler grabs a lot of interesting creatures. Uh, Tristani Trist- being one Tristani. of them. Tristani. Yeah, Tristani's the one I keep coming back to. And I, I almost submitted a Bugler deck as part of my Fine Finality article today. I didn't feel like it was quite there, though, so I didn't want to put it forth yet. But Bugler has a lot of potential. These Boros creatures have been underwhelming when I've played against them. Uh, I haven't actually played a league with Boros, but anytime I'm facing stock Boros, I'm underwhelmed by it. I like this wrinkle, though. I like adding a little bit of card advantage um, and you know finding a second way to play the game with Militia Bugler. So certainly better than the default Boros list I've seen. I think so, too. Siege Gate Commander, I have not played enough with in this format to know exactly how good it is, but... It seems like a reasonable card to try, and especially alongside Militia Bugler is probably pretty powerful. And yeah, thinking about Bugler Tristani, I would imagine that if you didn't want to go as all in on tokens as a lot of the Celestia decks are, you could do like the green base thing with uh, Llanowar Elves, Pelt Collector, and uh, kind of topping off at Tristani and March of the Multitudes, and that might be a thing to consider. Yeah, you can get your Thorn Lieutenants as well with Bugler in that style of deck, which is a card that's really impressed me. So a bunch of good targets for sure. Yeah. Uh, as, for, as for Boros, eh, I'm not about it. Yep, mostly with you. Next deck is by probazi one uh, Almost mono red, splashing a little bit of white uh, just for sideboard Ixalan's Bindings and Deafening Clarions. And this is a slightly bigger red deck with uh, all the Fight with Fires, Lava Coils, and Shivan Fires to go along with Experimental Frenzy. So no Shock or Lightning Strike. And then the top end is four Rekindling Phoenix, three Siege Gang Commander. Mostly not the way I'm looking to build this deck right now. Um, I, I, like the, I like the versions that lean harder on Experimental Frenzy. Um, if I'm going to float towards more mid-range like this, it, it just seems like there's a lot of conflicted cards here. Um, something like Legion War Boss again, just doing nothing for most of the games doesn't really work with me. Crater Maker, I'm not 100% sold on, so uh, a few passes for me. I also don't know about Dismissive Pyromancer in a world where you're not trying to maximize your experimental frenzy. I think the card quality is just a little bit too low there. Although I'll be honest, I, I haven't played with it much. That's just reading it and giving my impressions. It's uh, not it could great. Be one of those cards. Okay. It's not great. It, it is about exactly as good as you think it is. Okay. Okay. In that case, I'm not really on board with that inclusion here. I think there's just some better ways to do this style of deck. Yeah. 
trying to play big red makes sense and when you're doing that it's like okay my burn spells are probably not going to go face so i can afford to play fight with fire lava coil shiv and fire but realistically how often are you actually kicking shiv and fire and is it worth it to play that instead of shock when you have experimental frenzy in your deck yeah it's a hard sell for me agreed Next deck is by Oliver Hart. This is Andrew Jessup. He also got second at the SCG Classic in Columbus last weekend with, I think, basically the same deck. And this is not Thief of Sanity Grixis, although he does have some of the sideboard. This is basically uh, one of the original decks that I wrote about with, like, Dream Eater, Nickel Bolas, Notion Rain, Thought Erasure, that sort of stuff. Uh, I am in love with Thought Erasure in these decks. I think it does a lot that we underestimated as far as just holding the mana together uh, a broad answer to absolutely everything you could possibly face it, it checks all the boxes for me as far as these grixis decks go and has me a little bit more interested in them than i would otherwise be i am surprised at three dream eater it's a card that like i have this belief in i, I just think that there's a reason it's a four three i know that's the dumbest way to evaluate a card <laughs> but i just think like if this card is a 4-4, it's broken. So, like, it must be pretty good as a 4-3, and you just need to find the right spots for it. I don't know. It's weird that this deck isn't super reliant on playing at instant speed and still goes the Dream Eater route. What if you just play Doom Whisperer instead? Like, is that really bad? I, no. I don't know. I think Doom Whisperer is excellent, mostly because of the enormous body against red decks. Mm -hmm. And Dream Eater certainly does not check that box. And most of these decks just have like very low mana curves, right? To the point where Dream Eater just does not seem to line up well against a lot of the format, at least, you know, for my taste. But uh, as far as Thought Erasure is concerned, I definitely, like, I think I underrated the card. You, you were almost certainly right. But I do, it still feels mopey, you know? Like, I still feel like... When, when I'm casting this, like, yes, it, it does kind of, like, fix your mana, and there are enough decks where having the discard thing is pretty powerful because a lot of these decks are just about picking apart their synergies and mm. just kind of winning from there. And Thought Erasure does a good job of it. It just it feels so awkward still. Like, you do have to play it, and you almost certainly have to play four copies, but it doesn't feel great. How much do you think Dream Eater is a reaction to Experimental Frenzy and just having no outs to it otherwise? Otherwise? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it once you have things like Bolus and Doom Whisperer in your deck, I think your closing speed is actually reasonable to the point where mm -hmm. you don't give them enough time to actually unload on you, especially when, you, when you're packing like Ritual of Soots and Fungal Infections, Moment of Cravings, all that stuff. Like you can buy enough time and it is hard enough for them to put together two spells to deal with your things when, especially when Frenzy's in play. So they have to like play them out in sequence. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's where I fall as well. The The best way to deal with the card is by killing your opponent before they can get value from it. And 6-6 six, six Trample does that very quickly. Yes, it does. Next deck is by TJ Rio. Maybe that's how you pronounce it. I have no idea. But uh, Abzan. Abzan cards and stuff. Uh, I mean, I, I like some of these <laughs> cards. Some of them make me very happy. Look, I, I have something that looks close to this that I'm absolutely in love with right now that I think is a great deck, but the changes made from my list to this list are fatal for me. I, I don't I don't see the need to have four Assassin's Trophy in this deck. You have access to Conclave Tribunal that you can play. 
um, which is a very clean answer and also turns on your Ameras. Uh, a Johnny is an interesting pickup for this style of deck. Not really one I had seen before. That, that's raising my eyebrow a little bit. I don't hate it. Um, and for me, I'm going to pass on this. I think there's better ways to build this deck. That's all. But I do appreciate the effort to expand the kind of green-white archetype a little bit. Yeah, so this is basically green-white with a Vraska and four trophies. And... I don't think that adds a lot for me. I think that there's a lot of stuff missing from this deck that you can get out of normal green-white where it's like you have a lower curve, you have things like Flower Flourish to fix your mana a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, you have Conclave Tribunal instead of Assassin Trophy Vraska to handle all the weird stuff. I haven't been super impressed with a Johnny in basically any archetype that I've tried it in so far. Okay. And... I do like this deck also has two Karns main deck, which I like a lot and makes makes sense when you have a bunch of cheap removal. So, Yeah, that's true. Uh, fine finality is the splash you're looking for in this deck. I'm, I'm just convinced that that card is criminally underplayed right now. I believe that, but I don't even think you want fine finality when you have three Tristani, three March. It just seems like that's your end game plan and find is just kind of superfluous on top of that. I, I've been super impressed with Find. You're right that Finality doesn't come up all that often, but man, is Find such a good card for these decks where they're otherwise vulnerable to just running out of steam. They're not anymore. Find getting back Tristani and Amara is completely game-changing. Or even Find getting back your Knight of Autumns where they are fairly taxed in some matchups. It's nice sure. to have that flexibility. Yeah, that's legit. I mean, uh, this deck has six Planeswalkers, so I imagine those are kind of doing that job. But Very good point, yep. Uh, it is possible that I should be experimenting with find more often than just in straight Golgari decks. I think so. Next deck is by Ban SKK, 20 Mountains, 4 Flame of Keld, and a bunch of 4 ofs. Boo. Boo. The oh, come on. <laughs> this is my first boo. I, I, play Experimental Frenzy, please. I just think it's better. I think it's better than Flame of Keld. It uh, wins games that no other card can. I think this might just be uh, Owen's list from his article, quite possibly. So I don't actually mean to boo you, Ban SKK. Um, I Yo, appreciate... I, I, will, I will boo Ban SKK. I'll boo Owen. I think it's fine to, to just boo people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I will note that 8-1 drops Viachino Pyromancer, Wizard's Lightning Risk Factor is a lot of burn and... Uh, a, a lot of like very fast ways to deal damage and uh, with a lot of the red decks slowing down i think people are also kind of slowing down along with them because they need answers to things like experimental frenzy and they're not necessarily ready to just get bum rushed so i i don't think this deck is completely unplayable or anything i i certainly respect it and what it is trying to do i just don't think it's particularly good right now yeah i think there's better versions of an aggressive red deck that exist Sideboard 2 Vance's Blasting Cannons and 1 Experimental Frenzy, I will definitely boo. <laughs> okay, that earns, that earns the hard boo. That's the hard boo right there. Do those cards work well together? I don't even... I don't think so. Uh, no? Yeah, not really. I don't know. I mean, I guess if you have Frenzy in play, you could probably transform the cannon pretty easily. But well, that's true, yeah. Whatever. Next deck is from Spirit Bear. This, is this your secret account? Because this deck has three fine finalities in it. No, I, I do love the three fine finalities, though. Yeah, uh, pretty normal-ish looking Golgari. Four, like, 
normal-ish in that like it's cards that you wouldn't necessarily be surprised to see but slightly different in that uh they're not doing the same things that everyone else is doing so mm-hmm. four throne lieutenant three thrashing bronodon three district guide hell yeah four doom whisperer a fine broker uh with two dead weights and an eldritch reborn some cast downs vraska's contempts assassin's trophies uh two big vraska's fine finality i mean i like this deck like it it is like mopey medium golgari but all the cards are super powerful yeah these decks are just good and you get a lot of flexibility in what cards you're going to include and then you end up with a good deck no matter what it's really hard to mess this archetype up there's a lot of ways you can take it i'm not sure what the best one is i i love four doom whisperer i think that's a great approach here i still think that card is super powerful uh, Andrew Brown referred to this archetype on Twitter as uh, Golgari Trade Binder, which I really liked. Is you just grab all the cards from your Trade Binder that have Golgari colors, and that's what you end up with. Yeah, um, and it works. These these cards are super powerful, and uh, I, I'm okay with this archetype. No objections here. So I have a box of uh, standard playable cards, and it's generally the box that I will bring with me to every pro tour or whatever. And occasionally there's something, some card that I want access to, or I end up playing that I didn't necessarily consider playable or didn't think that I would ever play it. And basically all of these cards are in, in the box. Right. Yep. And so I, I kind of get that. It's like, yeah, these are all good cards. I mean, maybe I would have to pick up like some dead weights or guild gates or whatever, but those are seeing enough play that I think that they will get added to the box at some point. So yeah, if, if you're just building it straight out of the box, man, I think it's good. Yep. I'm with you. Next deck, Saku zero two one. We have, is it crackling Drake, Enigma Drake, Goblin, Electromancer, a bunch of cyclers, beacon bolts, a couple of rails, like pretty normal Drake shenanigan stuff. I'm not a fan, but is, is beacon bolt pretty normal. That's a weird one to see in constructed. I think. No, I mean, the, the Drake package is normal. The Beacon Bolts and Warlord's Furies are not, which is why I uh, said them out loud. Or maybe I just lumped Warlord's Fury and Cantrips, but regardless. Beacon Bolt is not normal, but it does have a lot of potential. Uh, I can buy that. I think this is just a, another version of the same approach. Uh, now that I don't have access to Deafening Clarion, I kind of miss it and want it back. But maybe that's just me. This is trying to do something else something much faster and more aggressive uh obviously with the inclusion of warlord's fury and i could see it paying dividends if decks aren't prepared to deal with four toughness creatures this will probably get them dead very quickly what about crash through over warlord's fury yeah isn't that just better uh what's the text on crash through again wasn't it trample and still draw a card yeah Yeah, creatures you control gain trample until on a turn draw a card. That seems much better when you have giant drakes. That's still in standard, right? Is it? Is it not? Oh, I it's, think an, it's hour. an Ixalan card. It's an hour of devastation, so it's gone. Oh, uh, okay. That's why. Okay. That makes sense. You've solved the mystery. Good yep, work. Yep, never mind. I'm I'm sorry I doubted you, Saku021. Yeah, under those circumstances, you kind of have to go with Warlord's Fury, but. Not a great card. I get it's in furtherance of something else. Um, I, I don't know. I would have to play games with this deck to give an honest assessment of it. It seems a little low on the power level, but sometimes that combines to form something spe- special, and that could be the case here. I agree. I just don't think that really exists with three and four mana drakes. Maybe not. 
Next deck is from Cool User, uh, Green White, Conclave Cavalier, Resplendent Angel. Uh, not very tokeny, just kind of like a big beefy green white deck with a bunch of good cards. This is like another uh, sort of like box brew where I'm I'm gonna carry all of these cards with me, except for Resplendent Angels, which I don't own and will probably never play. Yeah, I think you'd be pretty successful taking that approach. <laughs> Uh, it is strange. I would love to know how we arrived at three Llanowar Elves and one Seal Away. That's interesting. But that's where we're at. Uh, Green-white good cards, like you said, it's probably going to be a fine approach a lot of the times. These cards are very powerful. Well, once you have Resplendent Angel and History of Banalia, you need to include a bunch of planes. Flower Flourish can help with that to some degree, but... Right, we only have 10 green on turn one. At that point, maybe you shouldn't even be playing Llanowar Elves, quite possibly. Right, but then why are you green instead of the Boros decks? So you, you need Conclave Cavalier. Oh, of course. I mean, <laughs> Conclave Cavalier, is that better than Rekindling Phoenix? Is Thorn Lieutenant better than Knight of Grace? I mean, Flower Flourish is tight, but... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think we could be doing more with these style of decks. I'm off it. Uh, next. next up, we yeah. Next up, we have another Abzan brew by the Mummy, and this is just black green with some Lyras and Knight of Autumns. And Lyra as a splash is weird, especially considering that you could just play Doom Whisperer that is basically unkillable. Right, twelve white sources. Um, yeah, it's. I've been there. I've splashed a Lyra in this style of deck before where you're just like, okay, if this works out for me, this card's unbeatable in game ones against the red decks. I I'm not sure that's actually true anymore. That's the problem. This was something I was doing earlier on. Uh, now I think there's probably enough tools, especially like if they set up Experimental Frenzy, they'll find the two burn spells they need. Uh, it's not game over anymore. And that's what you really need the card to be when you're trying to really tax your mana like that. What do you think about Vraska Golgari Queen, a card that's starting to see some play now in standard? It is showing up in more spots than I thought it would, where there aren't necessarily any dedicated payoffs for sacrificing stuff. It's you, you just end up playing it as a normal card that is very good, and mm -hmm. I think that's completely fine. I mean, I, I'm not sure that Golgari Queen is even better than Karn in a deck like this, so it's, it's kind of hard to say. Yeah, you'd really have to have good value for the minus three. Uh, does that exist right now? Maybe. I mean, I mean, there's definitely really important targets. There's like Runaway Steamkin and Amara on the other side of the table, which you're mostly happy trading off a minus three for. There, there are sub three mana cards, which absolutely can't be allowed to live because they'll run away with the game. So that's a favor. That's a mark in favor of Raska for sure. Absolutely. Um, but on the whole, you're, you're right. That Karn just seems more powerful. Uh, in a bunch of spots. I guess there's trade-offs to be made and you have to decide which one your deck benefits from. Next deck is by Liliana of the Vess. Uh, another Boros deck. This one is uh, like four demanding dragon, but not really a dragon theme. Has eight Boros split cards, which is kind of interesting and is doing a lot of what the Boros Angels deck is doing, except this one is red based with Runaway Steamkin and therefore only has like Rekindling Phoenix Aurelia demanding dragon. So weird, weird build of a deck for sure. I don't think you can sell me on Demanding Dragon without Sarkin in the mix and assuming it works as intended. Maybe when it's just always broken, it becomes much better. Um, I I don't know though. It, on its face, it's a hard sell for me. 
Integrity intervention is weird with not a lot of early creatures. I imagine this deck doesn't get a lot of use out of the, the front side of the card. So right, you're right. effectively playing four mana Lightning Helix, which I don't think is very good, especially when you could play like Conclave Tribunal instead. But I will note that Response Resurgence uh, kind of overperformed for me, and that was both sides of it. Like if you have a bunch of these big flying creatures, yeah. uh, like Resurgence is actually just really strong. I can buy that. I mean, you curve Rekindling Phoenix into Demanding Dragon into Resurgence, and that's going to get the job done most of the time. They take hella damage. And yep. these these angel decks, angel slash dragon decks, whatever, uh, have a lot of power in their creatures. And if you're doing like go wide Boros things, Resurgence doesn't necessarily accomplish all that much for you. But when you start having like four and five power attackers, I think it does a lot. I think that was going to be my point is why are we doing this as opposed to the angel deck? I mean, it's doing a lot of the same things. I guess the selling point for me would be runaway steamkin. Um, and I buy that. I could see that absolutely being the reason we're doing this as opposed to the other version. Um, but I wonder about response resurgence in the other version too, where you're getting dramatic life swings and maybe some triggers off for splendid angel, uh, maybe a card that deserves more, more run than it's currently getting. Yeah, I definitely agree. Ah, uh, next deck, Papa Willie Adel, Hall of Famer, Pro Player Ambassador, uh, Abzan Master, and is unfortunately only playing green-white, but uh, Willie is very smart, and this is one of those Bugler-Tristani sort of decks, even though mm. sort of doing a token-y thing with a couple migrations in March of the Multitudes, but for the most part it has a bunch of creatures that you can find with Militia Bugler, so Willie is on point. Knight of Autumn was a card we neglected to mention. That's another one that can be grabbed with Militia yep. Bugler. Yeah, that I think course. is very important. And and Shauna is another one that's a 0-0 zero, zero when it's in your library. And now you get to grab that with Bugler. Uh, I like a lot of what's going on here. I hate Saprilane Migration, uh, especially <laughs> when you're not like for March of the Multitudes. I really don't buy it. And there's not even... The one spot where I've wanted Saprilane Migration is with Legion's Landings. And there's no Legion's Landings here. Right. So I think you can do better. I'd rather see like Thorn Lieutenants or something like that uh, present, which can also be found by the Militia Buglers. But on the whole, I like a, a lot of what's going on here. Yeah, I do agree that Migration is kind of out of place. Uh, Efro yelled at me for not playing four Flower Flourish. And I've certainly had enough games where... I've drawn two of them early with like four lands and it just means that you're you're effectively just super mana flooded, right? Like Flourish is great if you already have a bunch of creatures, which is kind of where Bugler helps. Like Bugler ensures yeah. that you have this critical mass. So at that point, I think I would just want to have four copies of Flower Flourish in this deck. Yeah, I've mostly played four. I do sideboard them out quite often, um, but I generally want to start with four in most instances. The card's great. PP55 is our next deck. This is 36 creatures, 24 lands, <laughs> Nullhide Ferox, Charnel Troll. And you, we've seen this in, in some, uh, like, almost mono green decks, right? Where it's like you try and play Sea Leaf Champion and Charnel Troll. But this one is straight Golgari with Doom Whisperer and, like, Stitcher Supplier still. So this, this deck's interesting, even though it's kind of boring. Yeah, Stitcher Supplier to maximize your Charnel Trolls. Look, this puts a lot of big bodies on the battlefield very quickly, and it gets just a little touch of removal in the form of Ravenous Chupacabra, an insanely potent card in the format, as we've discussed at length. Um, so kind of buy it. Like, I, I like a lot of what's going on. I wish there was a, one more graveyard payoff, like 
can we really not play one Azoni? Just just one. Just give me the one, and then I'll <laughs> be happy with this deck. Um, well, but there's something cool going on here. There are two Graveyard Marshals and two Isareths. Does that count? It counts a little bit. I, You're putting a lot of effort into making sure your Graveyard's always stocked. And I guess it's just mostly for Trinal Troll, which seems worth it. This isn't a huge, huge body, without a doubt. Um, and it will close the game very quickly. So I don't hate that approach. I just want a little bit more to be sold on it. Charnel Troll Doom Whisperer is quite the combo too. It is. That's it is. that's a that's not a thing that we've had a lot of people talk about. Your trolls will run forever. Instead of people doing this mono green stuff, it is interesting to me that we haven't tried to do any like very close to mono black stuff. Uh yeah. I'm I'm with you. This deck seems better than mono green to me for sure. I, I like this approach, but you're right that you can certainly take it in that direction and just get the big bodies going right away. Well, the creatures in this deck actually have uh, text. text text boxes. Yeah, they're not just piles of stats. Although, yep. uh, th- with things like Doom Whisper, I'm I'm kind of surprised to not see any copies of Galta. But yeah, I'm, I wonder. I'm fine with, I wonder I'm fine the average with it Galta turn. I wonder what the average Galta turn is here. Maybe just missing Lanowar Elves is a little bit too much to bear i'm not sure yeah galta might be a turn five card like if you do uh null hide ferox then you can yeah. galt on five pretty easily but still yeah like one doesn't seem like the worst but whatever uh what is what is this next screen name this is this is the part that i kind of hate where magic online uh, did away with the spaces, spaces in the screen name yeah. Yep. So I have a bunch of grandfathered accounts that have spaces in them, but then there's things like this where it's like Dietrich Hantelson. I don't that, like Dietrich Hantelson would be my guess. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's just bizarre. Uh, Twenty one islands, four tempest gins. This is this is pretty normal. Uh, I do like copies of Sleep out of the sideboard. I think that Sleep is very very strong Ooh. for this deck. Nice. And, I've been playing Time of Ice in that role, but I, I like Sleep as a pickup. Yeah, uh, Sleep Sleep seems super nice against Celestia and everything. Yeah. And then three Diamond Mare always strikes me as odd too, because it seems like these decks really need the help against red decks. Uh, Diamond Mare has not impressed me, to be honest. I mostly played it in the sideboard of my own red decks for the mirrors, and it was just always doing nothing. Always, I mean, the body it's, doesn't it's... matter. It's not great, but if that is the card that you have to sideboard in, I feel like if the matchup's that bad, you probably want four copies, right? If if it does anything, then yes. But if it's just like completely irrelevant and isn't actually swinging the matchup, you're better suited to getting more slots elsewhere. Sure, um, and, but then which... you should play zero, right? Not not correct. Three. Correct. Anyway, mono blue's okay. It's up there. Yeah, that's all. I don't have much to say about it. It's it's like fine. I don't hate you for playing it. I think you're making a reasonable choice. Um, I don't know that it has any significant edge over the rest of the format. Next deck is by Miguel Caster, and uh, I would want to say that this is a Jonathan Rossum inspired Esper deck, but this looks like uh, the one that Nathan Stewart was playing. Basically, yeah. like they're they're very close, but the difference yeah. is. Rossum would never play Evolving Wilds, even if his mana was just completely atrocious. And this deck has nine basics to go with the Checklands and one copy of Evolving Wilds, so I'm I'm digging it. Yeah, I want a second copy of Evolving Wilds. I actually played this deck a bunch uh, over the past week, and it's fine. I don't I don't have any staunch objections to it. Uh, I think I had two Evolving Wilds over 
uh, two field of ruin and only one field of ruin. Yeah. And even still, there's there's mana issues here. I mean, sometimes it comes together and it feels seamless. Other times you lose to your mana base and there's not a ton of influence you have over which one it's going to be. Uh, I think this deck is a solid control deck. Um, the card that impressed me more than any other card, what do you think was the card that really impressed me out of this deck? Uh, well, it would have to almost certainly be something unique to this deck. So I would probably want to say Chromium. No, I hated Chromium. I, I think... Oh, Vona okay. Butcher of Magan. The card really? was awesome. It did everything really? I wanted. Yeah, it was killing like it was killing Niv Mizzets and picking off um, experimental frenzies and just doing absolutely everything I wanted it to do, which I did not expect. Like if if you gave me free reign over this deck list before I played it, I probably cut the Vona right off the bat. The list I was playing was Nathan Stewart's though, and I think it had two Vonas, and I kept them and tried them, and I was really impressed by the card. See, and that's one of the reasons why you should like when you're trying out a deck you should probably not cut anything the first go around yeah and that's something i struggle with i'm like well this card must be garbage i'll replace it with this and yeah. a lot of times i get it right but there's definitely times where i'm closing myself off to be surprised and you know i never want to lose sight of the fact that i can always be surprised by a magic card and how impressive it is despite the fact that i think i have it pegged uh, i like to give cards second even third chances sometimes to just make sure i'm not missing something and I think this card probably upgraded a bunch with this format. Word. Next deck is from Felitor, and this is kind of cool. I actually like this deck a lot. This is uh, sort of Boros Angel-y with four Deafening Clarions and splashing three copies of Teferi and two Negates main decks. So more interaction, uh, better top end than just a bunch of Angels, and it's just like Adanto Vanguards and Knight of Graces to kind of bring the beats in the early game. The fact that we don't just have four of every legend and we're help, hoping to just draw them in the right order every time is a huge selling point for me. You still have access to all the same kind of crazy draws. So that's still in place. Nothing has really been taken away from you. It's just things are being played in more measured numbers. And like you said, more interaction. I agree. This is much closer to something I would play than the default angels list. And we don't have Hollowed Fountain, but that doesn't mean you can't play Teferi in places, you know? Mm -hmm. we, we have this blue-black deck that's splashing it above with uh, effectively nine sources if you don't count Field of Ruin. Uh, I'm playing Jeskai, which is effectively blue-red splashing white. This deck is Boros splashing Teferi. Like, you can, you can just put Teferi in decks, and I think it's okay. Yep, 11 sources is completely reasonable for what we're trying to do here. I don't know what the math tells you. I promise it's completely reasonable. I... I am getting very fed up of proposing light splashes and being told that Frank Karsten says I have to have more of the land that I'm that I'm currently playing, um, and it seems to be happening more and more. We don't have tri lands. Like, there's just no way for you to be able to play three colors. Right. If, you know, you're you can't get 15 sources of everything, or like you know, 18 black if you have Raska's contempt or whatever. Like, you just can't do that. Like, and there's strategic right. There's strategic considerations that speak in favor of ignoring the math in certain situations. When you get access to something which can totally change a game plan and you're doing so, you know, at a risk, certainly a risk, yes. but a worthwhile risk. Magic is all about risks, where to take risks and, you know, how to optimize your chances based on the amount of risk you're willing to expose yourself to. Deck building is the same thing. And, and sometimes risk is worth it. I absolutely agree. And you, you need to be able to measure that against everything else. I mean, if you're playing Boros and you're just like, man, my my deck 
is just running out of gas against these decks that have a bunch of removal. It's like, okay, well, Teferi is it. It just is. Yeah. Next deck is by Quark888. Uh, Grixis Thieves, 4 Thief of Sanity, 2 Lazav. This is the VTCLA uh, popularized build, I suppose. One Spell Pierce even in the deck still. This this version's a little bit weirder where they have uh, two Karn and two Rail. Is it Viceroy? Uh, one Dream Eater. Uh, uh, like just a bunch of, you know, one ofs and two ofs and stuff. So Grixis stuff, effectively. I'm concerned that Ral is not going to be able to use his abilities often enough in this list. Uh, so that worries me. Also, the card cut here is Thought Erasure, correct? Yeah. Hate that's it. what we're missing. Yeah, that that's problematic for me. Uh, that's a non-starter. I get that Ral's powerful, but I want my Thought Erasures back. I want to make sure I cast my spells on time. Uh, and I think over a larger sample size, you'll benefit from having the glue rather than the big splashy effect on the top end. Yeah, and this this deck is a little bit more clunky because there are Rails, Eldest Reborns on top of Doom Whisperers. So there's, many fives. Yeah, so there's, many. there's also a Ritual of Soot instead of the Golden Demises that VTCLA was playing. So uh, yeah, this, this deck is a little bit clunkier than you would probably expect. I'm with you. Next deck is the Mono Black splashing backsides of split cards off of chromatic lantern and <laughs> we have dusk legion zealot plague crafter ravenous chupacabra doom whisperer and one tetsamok as the creature base i can't possibly put forth an informed opinion about this deck i mean i just don't know it seems cool i'll say that uh the power level is acceptable i think you're doing powerful stuff you have access to good spells your removal's good chromatic lantern is a sketchy card but i understand what we're doing here and i guess i'm on board with it like i'm i'm not disgusted by it um i don't i don't know if this deck is good or bad it's it's cool though and props for doing some weird stuff in deck building absolutely i i was initially very happy to see fine finality and just mono black I, I think that's completely reasonable and then i wanted to do what you've been doing which is just play like a bunch of overgrown tombs and things but they don't work with cabal stronghold and right. given how much potential this deck actually does have for card advantage and to start playing multiple spells in a turn later especially when you start casting copies of find and whatnot i do think that cabal stronghold is reasonable so i i I think it's worth it to just build the mana this way, but it, it so, can also... So hold on, hold on, hold on. I, couldn't you just... This is not exactly the same, but why not just play one forest, four field of ruin, four overgrown tombs, and then you can cast your backside of finality. That's not that bad. And then you still have Cabal Stronghold minus one swamp. No, because it's not minus one swamp. It's, uh, it, it's Cabal Stronghold is basic swamp. Oh, okay. My mistake. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah I, I missed that clause. Yeah, because otherwise you could also just free roll a bunch of like watery graves and stuff in this deck right. and be able to cast right. those things. So yeah, that's that's the issue. That's the tension there. And okay, I think that even playing four Cabal Strongholds is likely wrong, just because of how important it is for your first one that you have as many swamps in play as possible. Mm. So I see there's what you're there's some awkward tension there. I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever actually played decks with Cabal Stronghold or not, but it's like, if you are down one swamp, it's a big deal. It's it, You feel so far behind. 
Uh, I played decks with Cabal Coffers, but never with Cabal Stronghold. So, Well, Stronghold is much worse on rate for the most part, so you feel it a lot more. Okay. Anyway, deck is cool. I, I do appreciate it. I'm with you, and maybe at some point I'll, I'll give it a run through a league. Zach's 1258 has 5-0'd with uh, Mono Green splashing a little bit of white for some Ixalan's Bindings and Shalai's. Nothing too out of the ordinary here. Uh, you start seeing this a lot with like one Vivian Reed at the top end just because there is so much removal in the format and people uh, do want this sort of card drawing engine. And granted, there are like some some main deck Lyra's and Shalai's and Resplendent Angels and stuff, but for the most part, I, I think people are just like, I kind of need a card drawer. Like, I need a big card. Vivian Reed's fantastic. A card that uh, I underrated at first, for sure. It it definitely gets the job done in these style of decks. Uh, and I've been pretty happy having copies available to me. Uh, also, a couple on Sarah's Wings in the sideboard, too. Yeah. Pretty spicy. Yep. And a, another deck that's playing Ixalan's Binding instead of Conclave Tribunal. Yeah. I... I get it. I understand what we're going for. Getting Rekindling Phoenix is nice. Um, you get them all. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of other spots where it's pretty useful. It's a trade-off, though, and it, you have to decide which is more important to you. Uh, I can see Exelon's Binding being correct in some instances. Binding? Yeah, I don't... When, binding when you have uh, Ferox is rough. That's true. That is true. At least with Tribunal, you could still reasonably... You can pay. Yeah. But it is kind of weird. Uh, yeah, it's only a two of, you know. If your Ferox is in play and alive, you probably are winning the game in sure. a lot of instances. So Legit. An another thing I'll say about Vivian Reed is that I don't think it is going to be uncommon for us to underrate these Planeswalkers going forward, given how dramatic the shift of design around the Planeswalkers has been. Where right. now there's like all these build arounds and you don't necessarily see the same Omnixilis slash Teferi slash Ral uh, like paradigm anymore for Planeswalkers. Like there are weird things like Vivian and Sarkin and new Liliana, new Vraska. So it's going to get harder, I think, before it gets easier. Yeah, that's a great point. And I've, I've also said too that I think Planeswalker is the hardest when we're doing like our pre-release evaluations planeswalkers are the hardest to nail down we've gotten it wrong on so many planeswalkers oh, over yeah. the time we've been doing this and they're just a challenging challenging card type to evaluate until you've actually played with them next deck is one that i didn't think i would actually be seeing and this is from seaman rock uh 10 forests eight black green duels one unclaimed territory so 19 lands in the mana base 36 creatures all elves <laughs> three assassin's trophies and two growing rights of itlamok oh i guess two of them are goltas my bad how are there no fine finalities here man this deck is so primed for fine finality i don't know if people get scared of the sweeper side but like rebuying your beast whisperer you can just rebuild from anywhere otherwise you're super vulnerable to things like deafening clarion or any kind of sweeper there's a lot of widely played sweepers right now and this deck kind of caves to a lot of them I think if you give it access to find finality, this could be a real deck. I, I think there's a lot of redundancy, a lot of card drawing in the form of Beast Whisperer and Elvish Clan Caller. Um, I don't know how good Marwyn the Nurturer is. My instinct is not very, but there's a lot of really good elves right now. And if this was a find finality deck, I'd be pretty into it. 
Marwin was always a three of when I was building my decks, but I could see it getting pretty out of control pretty quickly. So I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of into four copies, but I agree with you. Find seems like a, a, just a slam dunk to having a deck like this, especially yeah. in the sideboard. And they're just zero copies. Yeah. Crazy to me. But I, Shaper Sanctuary is reasonable. Uh, Rabid Bites, I'm not a big fan of. Poison Tip Archer, not a fan of, but whatever. Yeah, I think we could probably do better. Next deck is by V-A-R-P-C-Z. Jeskai Control, 27 land, 4 Clarion, 4 Teferi, uh, no expansion explosion for shame, and uh, two copies of Lyra main deck. Yeah, I, I was going to boo for no expansion explosion. I think that might be a thing we're doing now where we just boo people. Um, but <laughs> shame. I'll save it. Shame. <laughs> yeah, we'll shame wizard them. That's fine too. Um, I'll, I'll save the booze. I think you identified a great archetype. I think this archetype has a lot of potential. Uh, I'm not sure on Lyra. I I tried it early in the format, uh, the Dominaria format, when I was building control decks. I often started my control decks with like only two Lyras is the only creature and thinking to play a protect the queen strategy. You're just better off doing to fairy things in most instances. You don't really have to go that route. Um, but you know, maybe things have changed. I, I could reevaluate that stance and Lyra is just good enough. I it's problematic though, where you set a deck up to like the only removal they ever have to use the entire game is on your two creatures that you play and you don't really benefit from what otherwise would be a creatureless deck and blanking a bunch of your opponent's cards. Although I well, guess the removal tends to be a bit more flexible these days. Yeah, right? I was going to say, let's be real. Most of the removal is going to be able to tag your searches or your Teferis anyway. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. And that speaks in favor of Lyra a lot. Yeah, I, I don't think Lyra being a creature is necessarily a large downside unless you're talking about things that are specifically like fight with fire, you know? Right, right. One, one cool no, thing about that. this... One cool thing about this deck is that the Lyra's main deck give you sideboard slots to uh, devote to two copies of Shalai, which is, I think Lyra is more impactful the first few copies you have. But if you're talking about like mono red specifically, where they're like risk factoring you and lightning striking you mm. and even just trying to like fight with fire your Lyra, being able to play Shalai to either protect it or draw out the fight with fire so that your Lyra sticks, I think is awesome. Right, and then the also the Shalai into Lyra gaining the life a oh, turn yeah. prior than you otherwise would have. That's a really big deal. Yeah, so I I like mixing those up rather than playing three copies of Lyra. I think that's good. I can buy that. So I I don't necessarily agree with any build of uh, Jeskai that I've seen, but I am pulling a lot of little bits of information from each one to build my own. So it's pretty very cool. nice. Can't wait to see it. Uh, next up. Uh, more drakes. Only two crackling drakes. That's like the best one, right? But this deck has four copies of Arclight Phoenix uh, in their chart of course tormenting voice deck. Not bad. Uh, I like the effort to maximize Arclight Phoenix. I think that's good work here. A, a lot of good finds as far as the cards that are being included. I don't know that I buy this as a standard card. I do buy it as a modern card. I actually oh, yeah. literally just bought it as a modern card. I bought it in foil <laughs> too because I was, I'm pretty convinced this is an eternal card that's going to see quite a bit of play. Uh, if you haven't seen the mono red deck that's floating around uh, with Arclight Phoenix and Steamkin, it's, it seems pretty real. I mean, it's just another version of like that all in mono red deck that we get every few months. It feels no, like. No, no. It's better than that for sure. Yeah. It, it's past that point already. 
Yeah, it's it's not like a I, I shove on Blood Moon and, and hope that that's game. This is just kind of like a turbocharged Bedlam Reveler deck, and I, I think that that aspect is very good. Uh, just doing things like Fiery Temper and Arclight Phoenix is stronger than Discard Spells at the moment. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm a, I, I'm a buyer in that deck for sure, and regardless, I'm just a buyer in Arclight Phoenix in normal Mardu. I think it's completely reasonable. Yeah, like I said, I literally bought it. So I, I don't mean to like contest the point. I, I do think the card has legs. I think those deck lists are being still sussed out, but there's something powerful there. Um, I'm not as sold on Arclight Phoenix and Standard, though. And this deck seems fine, but unexciting is my read on it. Yeah, it's it's just harder to make it happen. You don't have Faithless Looting, right? And yeah. a 3-2 Flyer is probably so it's coming down later in standard and it is yep. likely going to have much less of an impact and it's probably harder to rebuy it after it dies or trades with something so it it has a worse time in standard for sure but and and there may be more exile base removal in standard than yeah that's actually existing too. in modern i mean there's path of exile but here there's raskus contempt there's conclave tribunal there's ixalan's binding so right. a, a lot of cards that answer it pretty cleanly it is cute that Binding doesn't necessarily touch it, though, because... Out of the just, graveyard, yeah. Right. And you could, like, also just shock it and then do other stuff. So, yeah, maybe maybe it's a thing. But I would like the rest of the deck to be more than just these filtering cards that put Phoenix into the graveyard and then uh, just a bunch of very awkward cards that you would not really play necessarily, like Radical Idea and Beacon Bolt. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Jumping through a lot of hoops to make some stuff happen that isn't even necessarily powerful. Yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the biggest rub here. Aussie 5-1, 12 planes, 8 Boros dual lands, and this is just a, a boss white weenie deck with one copy of Experimental Frenzy, which gets my thumbs up for sure. Yeah, can't we just go hard? Can, can we have three Experimental Frenzy instead of like... Yeah, but I like... How, how often do you need it, right? I mean, I think post-board that it's great to have multiple copies, but in game one, you just, you don't necessarily need it. I don't know. Is is mono white 16 one drops lighting the world on fire right now? Like, I think it's a reasonable deck, but it's not like the default version of it is particularly favored in game ones. I think a lot of decks stand up very well to this type of strategy right now. Um, but if that's and, the case, Frenzy is not necessarily going to fix that, and that just means that I would not want to play 16 Not want to play the drops. Yeah, okay. Okay. I see what you're saying. Uh, I guess I want to see what the deck is capable of maxing Frenzy if it pushes it into another year, um, because I don't buy it as just as a, a, a white weenie deck on its face. I'm not really interested in it, so I want to try the push version instead first, but... That's just me. It's quite possible that you just need that little bit extra value and uh, it's good enough to make this deck a contender. Well, the thing with this deck that is kind of interesting is you would expect it to be very weak to Deafening Clarion, but you have a bunch of one-drops and Venerated Loxodon, which could potentially push like your Snubhorn sentries over the edge or your Benelish Marshals. You have some copies of Dauntless Bodyguard. I, like, I imagine that Deafening Clarion is going to be good against you, but it's not going to get everything. And yeah, so I played against uh, uh, basically a, a straight white version of this deck when I was playing Jeskai Control and relying on my Deafening Clarions. And Dauntless Bodyguard was a problem. It was often awkward and very difficult to plan around it appropriately. And, you know, it doesn't seem like its impact would be huge, but 
this deck does a good job of pressuring your life total early. And if you're forced to Wrath and there's still a substantial threat in play, like, say, a Benelish Marshal, uh, things can get dicey pretty quickly. Yeah, people are not prepared for this level of aggression. There, there are some dead weights and some moment of cravings and stuff, but when you go triple white one drop and follow that up with a reasonable card, then like people are in trouble. Yeah. Next up, we have Kalush Kalushé. Any, Kalushé. Kalushé. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, <laughs> Twenty-six land Jess guy. One mission briefing. Only three deafening Clarions. Uh, a, a little bit of indecision as far as what uh, top end to play, where there's four Teferis, one Rail, one Niv-Mizzet. It's just like, eh, these cards are all probably fine. I wonder what I could get away with. Uh, yeah. I think I would lean towards... I don't know. If, if I'm doing Niv-Mizzet stuff, I just like want to do Sarkin stuff on top of it. I think just playing a Niv-Mizzet is not a winning strategy, like curving out to six and playing your Niv-Mizzet or even curving to nine or eight and attempting to protect your Niv-Mizzet at that point. I think you want a little bit more juice there. Um, although the card continues to impress me in a lot of different spots. So maybe I'm just being silly. I, I guess the problem is that you're leaning on this hard, this card really hard for your control mirrors. And I'm assuming that's the the function of the second copy in the sideboard. I really would just like to see uh, the big stupid blue dinosaur whose name I'm forgetting right now. Neza Hall, Primal Tide. Yeah, that card's good again. I mean, I hated that card forever, but that card's good again. And it's a much cleaner approach for your control matchups. I would rather see that in the sideboard than the second copy here. I think it's way, dude, I think it's way better than Chromium. Uh, I'm with you. Yeah, I agree. Uh, as far as Jeskai, deck is good. This this list has a bunch of weird cards. Jeskai has a bunch of options. And I I fully imagine until Jeskai actually wins a tournament that people are just going to be doing whatever they want. Right. Next deck is by Illusions Donate GG. Respect. Respect for that screen name. Uh, another big Boros deck. Almost mono red, splashing some white. Uh, Seal Away, Ixalan's Binding couple copies of Aurelia, and this deck also has Karn and Treasure Map with some Charging Monstrosaurs. Hello. Yeah, Constructed Staple, Charging Monstrosaur, making that just another appearance. Um, yeah, Big Red. I love Treasure Map plus Karn. I want a Sweeper here, I think. I hate Legion War Boss, as we've discussed at length. Um, so some things I like, some things I hate. I... I'm surprised to see no Clarions in the main deck. This deck feels like its identity is very torn. Like it's half big red deck, half like here's my Legion War boss. And I don't know if I'm buying into that approach. Yeah. Uh, w- once you commit to War boss, you are kind of priced out of playing Clarion, I think. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, War boss Seal Away is also just a weird combination of cards to have in your deck. Yeah, this feels a little bit like red-white cards to me. Yeah. Uh, next deck is from Watsy writer Gary M. I actually don't think I know who this is. No, I don't either. Okay. Uh, Golgari, Memorial the Folly, uh, Molder Hulk. Yeah, this this deck is from the open, basically. This is very close to what I was streaming, uh, except some Seeker Squires, a couple Fine Brokers, Jade Light Ranger, just like more of an explore package. Uh, yeah, I... I like access to the Wild Growth Walker package. I still believe in the kind of Izoni snowball plan to some extent. Uh, although I'll say 
we are reaching the point where someone should be targeting graveyards, right? Like, how is there just not <laughs> any graveyard hate? There's no devoted clerics or there's no uh, silent silent gravestones anywhere. These cards just aren't being played. And for the life of me, I don't really understand why. Well, I've seen some silent gravestones. How many, though? How many are in this dump? Very few. Very few. I mean, I'm sure I could... Yeah, copy, copy, or CF, whatever it is. There's one. 51 okay. decks, there is one Silent Gravestone across 51 decks. Nice. Well, regardless, not all the Golgari decks are doing the same thing, right? Like, you're going to run into the ones that just have a bunch of Raskas and a bunch of good cards, and your Gravestones aren't going to do anything against them. This one, it's actually pretty reasonable because there are four copies of Molder Hulks and Fine Finalities and stuff like that, but I don't think that Gravestone is good against every deck. Uh, that is true. It's not always the default approach against every Golgari deck, but the one that won the most recent PTQ had Eldest Reborn. It had Fine Broker. Um, it did not have Fine Finality, so nothing there. But in general, I'm finding enough spots where I want the card that I am shocked at seeing such a small amount of play. Yeah. Uh, next deck is by a, I believe, a Chinese person whose name I cannot pronounce. No, me neither. I'm sorry. I'm not even gonna take a shot at this one. Yeah, me, me either. There's, there's a Q not followed by a U, and I'm, I'm just lost. You know, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> ignorant American. Hello, uh, twenty-four mountain, four experimental frenzy, and some Sarkins. I actually like this approach. I was trying frenzy with treasure map, but I have not tried it along with Sarkin, and I believe that that could be quite strong. Neither have I, and that seems very promising to keep those experimental frenzies going and you see the hard lean into experimental frenzy here with four copies not a ton of payoff on the sarkin side of things but sarkin's just a good card i keep saying it you don't need that much payoff to really get away with it um i i like it here as a means of dealing with having 24 mountains in your experimental frenzy deck uh this deck's probably good and there's probably more to do with sarkin experimental frenzy working together Yep, I absolutely agree. And they figured out the correct uh, number of spells or like correct versions of spells to play with Shock and Lightning Strike. So, mm-hmm. And I'm the super- one of Fight with Fire, you still have an out. You can still get there against the, uh, the Lyra. So it's nice to see. Yep. Next deck is by Fate underscore Kuro. And this is this is kind of your jam, I guess. Three Sarkin, two Teferi, yeah. three Niv-Mizzet. Why? Like Crackling Drake being a Drake and not a Dragon... I, I really hate that. Drakes are just baby dragons, right? Yeah, as I kind understand of, it. Kind as of. As I understand it. That's that's frustrating. I would like I would like this deck a lot more if Sarkin could help cast the Drakes. Um, I think it's strange to only have Fiery Cannonade. Three has mattered quite a bit for me. Um, I, I don't hate Fiery Cannonade. I think you can play a copy and be pretty happy about it. Um, but I would also like to see some Clarions here, especially when, as soon as you go to Crackling Drake, the payoff is just so huge on the life gain side of things. Yeah. Um, so I, I like this approach. Obviously, I've done something similar myself. Uh, this is a little bit more low to the ground, but not having Clarion seems a little unforgivable to me. Yeah, and again, this is another instance of Sarkin plus Dragon just kind of sliding into an already established deck, which is this Crackling Drake deck, and, and now it's just like, okay, well, you have this filtering card and this giant top end just kind of out of nowhere. So it gives an extra dimension to your deck for sure. Why is Perrin not capitalized in the Niv-Mizzet title? Um, is it because they're posting like Spanish card names or is it just 
not even cop capitalized in the English card. Well, it, it's not on the actual, I'm looking at the actual card, but the Spanish version of the card. So maybe that has something to do with it. Now I need I mean, to see an actual English Niv-Mizzet. Yeah, I'm looking. It's capitalized. On the English one. Yep. Maybe we have a Spanish-speaking listener who can tell us if that's something to do with the language or if that's just an oversight. I don't actually know what a parent is in English, so I can't really make any guesses as far as that goes. But someone clue me in on this. I need to know why parent is lowercase in this particular version of the card. Uh, hold on. I have, I have another theory that I must test. Okay. Okay, so also everything else on the English Niv-Mizzet is capitalized, basically. Like legendary creature, dragon wizard, and uh, that is not the same for uh, for this. I don't know if it's Spanish or Portuguese. Oh, I actually don't either. That's a good point. Um, yeah, you're you're right. So maybe it's just a convention as far as capitalization right. goes yep. uh, with titles. Okay, I can buy that. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it is weird to just not capitalize the the last thing in a title, but whatever. Mm -hmm. I I imagine it is correct for for their language. I'm sure Mis we will. I'm sure the answer will be revealed to us. Niv Mizzet Mysteries, check that out. Uh, next deck, <laughs> the Sneaved Weasel. Yep, that's where what? I fell on that as well. What is Sneaved? I, I don't know. I have literally no idea. A lot of words I, I don't know if even are real words that I'm being asked to define right now that I'm just not capable of doing. Well, we got 21 planes. Uh, some white one drops. 12, 16 again? Okay. Legit. Yeah. Uh, you know, white aggression. Some powerful cards in History of Benalia, a little reach in Legion's Landing, and an ability to go long, explosive draws with Venerated Loxodon. This is never going to be the right strategy for me, but I can buy it as something powerful to do early on in a format for sure. So you have Venerated Loxodon that is being powered out by a bunch of white one drops. You have Conclave Tribunal, History of Benalia, and Benelish Marshal. Some Ajani's on the top end, a bunch of one drops, and then your only two is a Dono Vanguard. Like this deck does kind of build itself. Yeah, no, it does. I mean, and it makes sense. Like they are just playing like the best white cards. I like the little bit of stickiness that's here too in Hunted Witness, as well as the one of Martyr of Dusk, just being able to get a little touch of resiliency against Clarion. Like I said, you'd be surprised how low life totals are when you actually finally get to fire off that card, that just having a couple of one ones floating around afterwards could make all the difference. Right. And being able to then play in a Johnny post Clarion, I think is super and strong. Plus, so yeah, yeah, this, this shows uh, a lot of awareness of what is going on in the format. And I think that if you're building this sort of deck, like this, this is a good way to go about it because it's not like, Oh, everyone's playing deafening Clarion. We need to start playing for toughness or just no creatures in general. You can also do things like this and be successful. Yeah, for sure. God, like a Dotto Vanguard too, man. It's so good. It is good. Powerful card. Uh, let's see. What, what would I need to build this on arena? Not much. <laughs> that's the standard for all these decks now is what do i well need for for like the very fast beatdowny deck it's like okay i could probably do this 
Yeah. No, there's too many rares here. I, I'm rarigated all the time. I have all the mythics in the world. I can't make any more really? rares. Because I built a mana base like an idiot because I didn't understand how the system worked. So uh, okay. Well, yeah, I, that's, I, that's why I'm trying ahead. to rock 21 basic planes, man. Yeah, that's smart. That's very smart. <laughs> the system just gives you all the basic lands you could possibly want. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pablo Figueroa with uh binder abzan this time or binder golgari sorry this time with a carnage tyrant yeah uh very similar to the last list I'm, this doesn't feel 20 cards or whatever the the barrier is however many cards off it has to be it doesn't feel that many off to me i'm sure it is but uh i don't have anything new to add here it's just more binder abzan good powerful cards fine deck well this one has more different planeswalkers fine brokers play crafters so I, I think there's enough difference okay I, I trust that they did the math, but maybe the system's broken. Maybe that's how we have 51 decks today. It could be. Maybe we're just talking about the same deck over and over, and we're, we're so worn out we don't even realize it. Uh, next deck is Harai underscore Taquito with uh, blue-black basically splashing a little bit of green for Assassin's Trophy, Vraska Relic Seeker, which are just some of the, the best all-purpose answer cards in the format, and then two copies of Carnage Tyrant just because everyone's kind of sleeping on it. No one has good answers. Yeah, I, I guess the control decks are really vulnerable to it right now. Uh, the Golgari decks obviously have a lot of sacrifice effects and ways around it. I, I think they're mostly fine, but certainly some of the control decks are just playing no outs to Carnage Tyrant right now. You're right, underplayed card, and I have a feeling that'll tick up over the coming weeks. Yeah, tick up and then tick down as people's answers yep. tick up. and blah, That's blah. what it's meant to do. That, that's its function in the format, and it's oh, a yeah. good check to have. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next deck is J-Bone Capone, uh, who streams occasionally. I haven't really seen him on lately, but I haven't also been checking really in. This is White Black Knights with Midnight Reaper, which is also a knight. Uh, Resplendent Angel, which I don't necessarily agree with. But uh, then Four Karn, which I absolutely like. And some Eldest Reborns. And just note that White Black, you have to play Forsaken Sanctuary instead of Godless Shrine. But... It doesn't really matter, uh, assuming your your deck is that good and you have a relatively clean two-color mana base. I think you can do other ways of building knights. I had a knight list in my article this week uh, leaning on Unclaimed Territory. It was actually like almost mono-white, basically splashing Fine Finality and... Midnight Reaper was one of the cards I included because I, I think this is a tremendous card for the Knight's archetype, a way to squeeze some more card advantage into an archetype that really isn't meant to have any of it. Um, and probably an underplayed card in general. I think this card deserves more homes than it's currently seen. You talk about resiliency to Clarion. This builds some of that, although you can just kill the Reaper first, but you're still getting one for one in that instance. And if you're pressuring your opponent appropriately, then playing the Reaper on the turn where they have to Clarion is still worth it. It's good, but your your follow-up has to be strong too. And this That's deck true. has this deck has six four mana planeswalkers, so I think that kind of counts, even though Karn is like a little bit weak. Uh, I like that the white deck actually keeps up pressure when facing down Clarion. In this deck, your your board is gonna get wiped and you get cards off it, but you're you're certainly down in tempo. Mm, that's true. Next deck is uh, by Spiral Prince, and this is just straight blue-white control. Uh, again, we see two Lyra's main deck. Uh, four copies of Seal Away, one Gideon's Reproach, kind of cleaning up uh, in, in the two-mana slot also, helping a little bit. And, you know, like a Blink of an Eye and Ixalan's Binding. This deck looks completely fine to me. 
I'm pretty medium on blue-white just because I think the other control archetypes are basically doing things better. Um, Field of Ruin is still in their mana bases for better or for worse. You get some cleanliness here, but the cleanliness is mitigated by the inclusion of Meandering River. So there's you have your own mana problems to deal with, essentially. Um, it just seems worse than Jeskai to me right now, and, and maybe even worse than Esper. I think the incentives are there to stretch your mana base a little bit and get some more cleaner answers. I mean, this is the hardest Settle the Wreckage deck we have going right now. All those other decks really don't lean on Settle the Wreckage. So if you talk about an uptick and things like uh, Carnage Tyrant, having Settle the Wreckage to go to is very nice. I think the main difference here is trying to get CCDD for things like Sinister Sabotage and Settle the Wreckage versus Jeskai, which is just kind of like abc right like Mm -hmm. you need a blue mana a red mana a white mana and you're mostly set and i think for the most part that is easier easier uh so yeah trying to do sinister sabotage settle the wreckage stuff is is very difficult i would rather just try and do like ionize clarion and hope that that works out yeah i'm with you next next by willie blake uh, another Jeskai deck, obviously, you know, they're they're all fairly different. This one has two expansion explosion, uh, one Rel, three Teferi, one Nova, three Clarion, uh, varied mix in removal, and again, we see one copy of Mission Briefing, which might be fine. I don't know. The, the fewer Settle the Wreckages you play, I think the worse this card gets by a significant portion. Yeah, it seems like the best card to often be buying back. Um, how many expansion explosions would you have in, in your list? three yeah i might even have four i think this card is very important and i get that it gets clunky in some spots but you can usually find uses for it like if you have to shiv and fire expansion kill two things that's that's fine in a bunch of spots or justice strike expansion it's not bad there there is a point though where you're going to look at your hand of all expansions explosions and just absolutely throw up but still you can you can go pretty hard and three is good I think you can probably get away with four in a lot of instances, and it might be the best card in this archetype. You can, but then then I would want to play Azor's Gateway, and that might just be a trap. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> this next deck is rad. This is Maestro Dobis Boros. Uh where where to begin? Uh we we got a lot of war creatures. We have Legion War Boss, Leonin War Leader. Uh, weird token stuff happening with two divine visitations, and that is kind of capped off by Tilanali's Summoner. There's a ton of tokens here. I I get what they are going for in this instance. Um, I don't know if it's worth it. Also, I'm surprised there's not a spot for the uh, red white M19 spell that makes tokens. I, I don't remember the name of it because no Her- one has played it ever. Heroic reinforcements. Yeah, so, I, so you I would, think that's a you solid would, card. You would make two angels, and then they get plus one, plus zero oh in haste? Is that how it works? I, I think so. That's that, my understanding of it. That sounds rad. I, I'm surprised to see zero copies here. I'm not I'm not saying you want a ton of them. You can afford to play four, but a couple seems very good. And yeah. we're seeing response resurgence again as well. Another nice little pickup. Uh, so interesting approach here. I like going super wide. Um I I want to know how this lines up against a bunch of other stuff. It's really hard for me to assess just looking at it. But as far as baseline power goes, you would argue this deck has the tools to get the job done. Summoner Visitation is cool. The end. Mm-hmm. 
Next deck is from Red Zone 91. This is Selesnia that is almost mono white, splash a little bit of green. This is uh, the deck that uh, Zan Said played in Columbus. And this might actually be his account. I don't know. Uh, yeah, a little lower to the ground than the average, like, green-white approach. Snubhorn uh, Sentry, Haunted Witness, and Legion's Landing fueling four March of the Multitudes. Yeah, so this is a March of the Multitudes deck. It's trying to maximize that card and having played with that card a little bit, I get it. I could understand why you want to go that way. And obviously in conjunction with four Flower Flourish, it gets that much stronger. Uh, that's your setup here. You're usually trying to get to that end game. And I believe you're probably doing so with some good effectiveness. Uh, this deck seems good to me. I, I don't have any huge objections here. Celestia is great. I would be a little concerned with the weak card quality in Snubboard and Century Hunted Witness, but they are very good enablers. Yeah, and you you have to, if you're going to be a March the Multitudes deck, you have to lean into it a little bit. I personally, my approach has been to back away from March a little bit, only play two copies. But if you want to be the four copy March deck, you're going to have some of that stickiness to your deck where your card quality isn't going to be as high. Yeah, I also agree that going back on marches is probably correct. And a lot of people were playing Sapling Migration to fuel four marches. And I think I that it. that, I, I think that's a better approach than playing a bunch of white one drops. Uh, you can make that argument. The payoff here is you get Benelish Marshall, right? And yes. what's that worth as far as going wide? I don't know. I haven't played with this particular version, uh, but... 1-1 uh, versus 2-2 two, two is a world of difference, especially when all those creatures have lifelink in a bunch of instances. So. I agree. I do think these decks like need a, need a payoff. Like yeah. they're, ve they're very good at casting March, but then what do you do? You venerated Loxlon to tap them all and then still can't attack until next turn. I mean, it's not great. Yeah. Yeah, Shalai is where I've really liked to go for my payoffs. I, you get a lot of value from also avoiding uh, Settler Wreckage and other various effects. So I... I would push a little bit harder on the Shalai side of things. And then there's Flourish as well, obviously. So uh, I, I like the kind of dichotomous nature of a lot of cards in this deck. They're good at doing multiple things. And that's rare for like, here's my white green creatures. What do you have? Yep. Uh, but a little bit more flexibility here. Next deck is the best deck in the format. Not close. The pilot's <laughs> name is Ferrum 0728 with a mana base of 13 swamps, five planes, four isolated chapel, two field of ruin. This is a Dawn of Hope. Fountain of Renewal control deck that also features a very heavy artifact package to fuel for Karn Sign of Urza. Some of those artifacts are Chromatic Lanterns, which then allow you to play Chamber Sentry. What's up? Chamber Sentry is dope. Having played this card a bunch <laughs> in Limited, it's, it's, it's so good. It's so good. It's so good in Limited. It just does everything you want all the time. And like... Oh, need a two drop? Okay, Chamber Sentry will do that role. And maybe it'll even pick something off that's high value if you're lucky. Um, this deck's cool. I can't tell you how good it is. I, I like the Fountain of Renewal, Dawn of Hope combo. Dawn of Hope in particular is a card that has impressed me quite a bit in actually playing with it. Um, so I really like leaning into it here. I don't know. Maybe this is a very real deck. I, I will... I would like to play with this, absolutely. I don't want to play with this on Magic Online, Arena, or in real life. So it is it is hard for me to say. I, I want to I want to experience You want to it. watch someone playing this. Maybe, but it it would just take too long. That's I'm just kinda of over it. Uh, that's my MO, unfortunately. So Yeah, yeah. Well let me know how it goes. Okay. I'll report back. <laughs> John Claude eleven. 
played uh, Blue Red Crackling Drake to a 5-0 victory. This this one's like a little bit bigger. There's Sinister Sabotage, two Expansion Explosion, a couple Rails Erics, a couple Search for Escantis. So it's sort of like Blue Red Control with Crackling Drake, and that's legit. I'm down with that. Yeah, that's how I would phrase this deck. A lot closer to Blue Red Control. I, I think it's got some pretty clear vulnerabilities to me. Like if your opponent gets wide, you're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Uh, if your opponent plays a large creature, you're in a lot of trouble. So... I'm not sold on the archetype, but at least it has a very clear identity. And uh, yeah, I don't know. The the four drop Crackling Drake tap out in my control deck, I don't buy it in a lot of spots. <laughs> I think you need way more payoff and it's just not here for me. Yeah, I do think the deck could play some Fiery Cannonades main deck and right, pretty easily right. get away with that. And then there are things like three Fight with Fires, two Lava Coils. So it's obviously like, oh man, I'm really scared of these big monsters but instead you just like don't really have a good answer for them anyway. So it is kind of yeah. awkward. You are really hoping that your things line up and, you know, Godspeed. Yep. Uh, D-A-I-H-O-2000 is the next person. Uh, another blue-red deck with Crackling Drake. This is the same deck. I, I no. swear we've looked at this deck like 10 times now. No, I swear it's it's got to be 10 cards different. This is Sark and Mizzet. So yeah, we can just move on, I guess. Yeah, I, I think we've said what we have to say about this style of deck. Next up, Skeptical Prince. What's up, Nick? A uh, friend of mine who lives in LA playing uh, very, very low to the ground. Selesnia, 20 land, four migration, four march, three Song of Freilis, three Tristani. Song of Freilis is interesting here. I, I would want to see a lot more payoff. I think that's what's lacking. And people try and sell me on the the third phase of the saga being the payoff. Yeah. I, I buy it. I, I mean, I get that. I, I want both. I want all three phases to be super impactful though, before I'm like, yes, I'm in on this deck. And here we're just dealing with like Shalai pretty much as our hardest mana sink. Uh, you can do like flourish stuff, but then you're losing bodies. So right. uh, I don't know. What's missing is the card that does both, right? Like in, if you think back to Cryptolith Rites decks, you had appropriate mana sync. Sometimes you had things like Eldrazi Displacer, where you could just dump a bunch of mana into that and get a big right. payoff, and it was still just a reasonable body. When you find that body, that's when this deck is going to reach the next level. And maybe it's not there yet, but keep an eye out for it, because there's a lot of potential here. So Act 1 is probably, hopefully, allow me to play a bunch of things. Act 2 is like, maybe play some more things and then march to the multitudes and then act three is like probably kill them with march so i i get where it's going uh i don't know more more testing is necessary with song of freilis i do think it is a card that people should be trying that's the biggest problem with march is the payoff is that it's already paying i know off, right i know like, that's what i can't get over about these decks and is really holding me back from embracing them wholeheartedly you have to be able to use song to enable you, like as a dark ritual, to enable you to play out more things. That's yeah. that's where the payoff is. Yep. Uh, next deck is by the screen name Interesting, and I don't really agree. I don't know. This is uh, blue red nickel bolus Sarkin splashing Eldest Reborn and a couple boluses. Or I'm sorry, Nim is it Sarkin splashing bolus? Yeah, it's for Niv-Mizzet, leaning super hard into the Sarkin package. Um, I don't know about some of the support cards here, but I like the hard lean. And you could tell there's even more consideration of Niv-Mizzet when you get to four Radical Idea. That's the card that just goes like absolutely bonkers with yeah. Niv-Mizzet. Um, so this is a deck designed to maximize Niv-Mizzet. 
And that approach was rewarded with a 5-0. I'm not surprised. Nivmizit is a real card. Um, is it the best thing to be doing? I have no idea. But uh, you, what's up with the sideboard here? I was going to say how you like that sideboard, though. Uh, is this just like I give up? My sideboard doesn't matter? I'm, I'm so confused. Four Departed Deckhand, four Stormfleet Sprinter, four Warkite Marauder, two Hoshis Shaker, and obviously one Cannonade to combo with all of your pirates. It's a combo with pirates. Uh, okay. I'm just going to move on. <laughs> okay. Next up, Yawgmoth PT, Disinformation Campaign. It's back. Uh, it shouldn't be, I don't think. You know, the creator of this deck I know. was very happy we spoke about his deck last I know. week. And I, I do applaud him for working hard to make this archetype work. I, I Someone needs to do the legwork and figure out if they're viable. It's racked up a few 5-0s now. I see people playing it. I am not a believer that this is a constructed level card it's certainly ruining a lot of limited games but it's insane in limited it's so dumb yeah yeah it's completely bonkers uh i I think you have a lot of other good cards here and disinformation campaign is just its weakness is being masked by the fact that the card quality is really high in a bunch of other places that's my guess as to what's happening here yeah i buy that uh next up got delicious Someone asked if this was my secret account the other day. It, it's not also. <laughs> I, I've never referred to myself as Godalicious ever in my life. Um, so, so that that's so, going to be your your handle next week. It has to be. I, or, I, or like, I like it. Or I mean, after, maybe this guy's a big fan or this this guy or gal is a big fan of the cast. That's possible. And after there. After you win a GP. Just change, go to Godalicious. Changing your name. Yeah. I like it. See if at Gotalicious is available on Twitter. <laughs> Lock it up. So uh, Golgari stuff, Dry Green Seeker, Vraska's removal, Eldish Reborn, etc. Yeah, we've seen it before. Still good. Still good. Still good. This one's a, a lot creature light and playing more good cards, which I recommend. It's funny that the creature light one got fine finality into the mix, but the one some of them with more creatures didn't have. Yeah. Fine yeah. What are you gonna do? Underscore Goblin Lackey with the Mono Green Splashing Assassin's Trophy. Kind of covered this one already. Pretty medium. Uh, Still don't like it all that much. Yeah, lacking in a lot of versatility, et cetera, et cetera. And the last one, Vegetable Lasagna. How do you feel about Vegetable Lasagna? I I love Vegetable Lasagna. As a vegetarian, I certainly lean into Vegetable Lasagna. uh, And I would happily eat some. And never talk about this deck again because it's still just boros and not super good although here's heroic reinforcements showing up yes so this is white one drop boros with heroic reinforcements also four copies of demotion is that a constructed card my instinct says no no. i'm guessing (laughs) no uh, you could see what they're going for though if you're always the aggressor then you know one mana removal is great but there's a lot of creatures that um, have more pertinent effects on the board, and you're just not always going to be ahead. I love buying into that fantasy of, like, I'm always winning the game, so demotion is all I need. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if I buy it. I don't. I certainly don't. Uh, being able to sideboard four copies of Risk Factor is kind of interesting, where you were talking about earlier how quickly the white decks put on pressure, and granted, this deck has uh, only, in, in quotes... 12 white one drops for creatures. So there's going to be like a little bit less pressure, but like, do you buy into the fact that like the white deck is fast enough to be able to utilize risk factor as this like control punishing card? 
I think you have to try a little bit harder. I don't know that it does here. I think the curve is floating a little bit too high for my liking, even with the you know 12 one drops. I, I think if you have 16, maybe I buy it. Um, but I also could just be undervaluing the card. I mean, Risk Factor has proven to be a difficult card to evaluate from the beginning. Uh, is it better than like... I mean, what other options could you use in that spot that are kind of this half pressure, half... So so risk factor is like, maybe you can't pay enough life. Uh, so this is likely just their refuel card. And yeah. th- there are some threatening moments with like heroic reinforcements, right? Where it's like you could pay four life and then just get burned out from this almost mono white deck, which doesn't seem very likely, but could actually happen. But if you're looking for either card advantage or staying power, then you generally want things like a Johnny or Experimental Frenzy. And there are two copies of Frenzy in the sideboard, but there's also three copies of Radiant Destiny, which like may or may not be doing that job well. And I, yeah, I just don't really know if Risk Factor is actually the card uh, that is correct for the job either. You know what I think needs to happen here is just like, if you replace Boros Challenger with another one drop, then maybe I get on board. Because okay. I, I don't know that Boros Challenger does all that much in this deck anyway. It's like you can get, and I, I I think you can get an Adanto Vanguard. Is that correct? Based on the way the Mentor timing works? No, because uh, Vanguard is not a trigger. Oh, it's, it's not a, a trigger. Static. It's just a yeah. So so you can't get anything short of heroic reinforcement tokens or Legion's Un- Landing tokens, or unless you Tajik onto the Challenger. Correct. Correct. Or, or, yeah, pump, so- or pump the Challenger, obviously, but that's unlikely but yeah with 11 red sources i also don't really like the inclusion of boros challenger so right right and i get that the quality of white one drops diminishes drastically after the ones that are already included here and you're probably going to the city's blessing one um which is not ideal or hunted witness whatever uh hunted witness is a little bit closer yeah okay so, so you should make that change. I'm in on this risk, risk factor plan. And you get to do it in conjunction with Experimental Frenzy if you'd like as well. So, Yeah, so then once you're cutting Boros Challenger for Hunted Witness, your red cards are Tajik and Heroic Reinforcements. And then Cyborg Risk Factor Justice Strike. And is that worth it enough? Is Heroic Reinforcements good enough to justify splashing red? I don't know. I can buy it. I can buy it. I mean, once you consider the sideboard options you're going to have, if if Risk Factor Experimental Frenzy is like enough in the matchups where you're getting swept and you need refills, then yeah, I, I think that seems worth it to me. And I think Heroic Reinforcements is a very good card, by the way, that has been pretty underplayed. Um, you know, certainly Goblin Chain Whirler has had a lot to do with that. But this is a strong card and deserves some consideration for sure. Right on. Well, that's it. That's all 51 decks. And this is a mammoth episode. What was that, like three hours? or? I, I thought it was like a couple days had passed. It was a very, very long episode. Hey, actually, if a couple days had passed, uh, the new decklist dump would be out. So do you want to just keep going? Just, just do it again. Yeah. Why not? We'll just do decklist. Like, this is actually going to be our hell is we just do decklist over and over and over in perpetuity. We never get to finish one before the next one is out. You say hell, I say heaven. I don't know what the deal is. Well, I'd like to play once in a while. I mean, I, I do, enjoy, like I said, I love this style of show, but every now and then I want to test out one of these decks. You know, you have to get to the Fountain of Renewal control deck at some point. Well, yeah, but then that's where your other two get eight, two days go missing, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I I think that we did a good job of pointing out the various spots where it's like, this this person is doing this cool thing. This is something that I need to file away, and 
just having this general discussion is is basically how we approach and think about these deck list dumps, like when, when we're getting provided just a wealth of information. So uh, hopefully this is very useful and uh, we will probably do another one once the new set comes out uh, and yeah, just continue to do things like that. But do we have a question? We do have a question. So Drop Bear, I like that name a lot, asks us, at what point do you feel like you've done everything you can to be ready for a tournament? i.e. what signs do you look out for to know that you expended enough energy preparing and any more will be disadvantageous? I like this question a lot. What's your take on this? I do too. I, I feel like the, the short version of this answer is you basically can't ever expend enough energy. Like there's always more things that you could be doing and more things you could be learning. And certainly there is a point in the cycle where it does become disadvantageous, where you know, say, all right, I, I figured out that like Selesnya is a good deck, right? And I have a good list. And then you do more testing and you're like, oh, but it's really weak to this. So then maybe I should play this deck because it's good against that and blah, blah, blah. It's like, you really have to have a finger on on the pulse of the metagame to know exactly like what level people are going to be on and how far they're going to go. But for the most part, I do always feel that like, even if you have locked in Selesnya as your choice, you can always be solidifying sideboard plans and, there's basically never enough time to to make sure that your deck is actually 100% correct. And you just have to make some sacrifices and just be like, okay, this is what I'm submitting. You know, this is what I'm fairly confident in. And uh, Drop Bear mentioned uh, expending too much energy. I do think that there's a real chance for burnout there too. And, you know, maybe you should spend the last day or day before a tournament uh, just like hanging out with people and like having fun and like not thinking about magic. So... Uh, I, I think a lot of that is something that you have to tailor to yourself and figure out what you need and like how much time away from magic you actually need to feel relaxed and comfortable and not tired and burned out and whatnot. Yeah, I feel like we get some variant of this question quite often and people are wanting us to give like a spot where, okay, you've done this, so now you understand the format and like you said, there's basically no limit to how much spend how much time I can spend preparing for a tournament because there's small optimizations that I can make and figuring out that last sideboard slot. I never feel like I've reached the conclusion of my preparation. But that being said, obviously at some point you have to draw a line and I love your idea about taking a day before the tournament to just chill and and take some time and be like look i'm probably not going to solve anything in this last moment i have to accept the conclusions i've gotten to and here's where we are this is what i'm playing and i'm comfortable with that and looping back around to the idea of being comfortable that's what i try and get to every time does it mean i know absolutely everything do i have every matchup figured out to a t am i 100 percent confident i have the exact right 75 cards no absolutely not and I, and I never will feel like that but i am at a place where i'm comfortable and i wish i could describe this feeling more but it's something real that hits me and it always hits me in a pronounced way last night playing a guilds of ravnica draft it hit me i was just like okay i'm comfortable in this format now does that mean I know absolutely everything about it or I've mastered it? Absolutely not. Nothing near that. But if I had to play a pro tour tomorrow, I'd be like, okay, I'm not out of my depth. I have a basic understanding of this format. I know how to do everything that may be required of me. Maybe not optimally, but I know enough that I can put forth every game plan. I have my evaluations of cards pretty much shook out at this point. I've seen everything. I, I know what archetypes are out there. I'm comfortable. 
And that's the point I'm always trying to really hit before I have to play a tournament. To kind of put things into perspective, I think there have maybe been five tournaments in my life where at the end of it, it was just like, yeah, I, I kind of ginned it. Like I, Same. I got my deck exactly where I wanted to be. I think my sideboard was very well utilized and everything. And there's very little, if anything, I would change in hindsight. And I've, I've played thousands of tournaments, right? I had to have. And there's there's just no way for you to get it right every single time. And it just at some point, you have to kind of stop stressing it. And I again, like you can always put in more work, but that's not necessarily super healthy and isn't necessarily going to actually help you. And realistically, what you should be doing instead of playing more games is actually thinking about it, analyzing things, uh, you know, thinking about like common play patterns and if there's any way to break those paradigms, maybe just discussing the format with other people or seeing what other people are working on. And uh, kind of what I was talking about with Jeskai Control in this episode, it's just like, yeah, you, you see what everyone else is doing and you can pull ideas from that and help uh, form your opinion. And also just looking at the winner's deck list and just like, okay, Deafening Clarion Teferi is just a thing that is doing particularly well. And there's a reason for that. So you know, uh, always stuff you can do, but at some point you just have to pull a, pull the trigger and submit a deck list. So that's it. Yep. And do so without regrets and with belief that you did the best you could given your circumstances. And that's all you could ever ask for. And a lot of good questions this week too. So uh, I I do really like this question from Drop Bear, but uh, there are also a lot of other good ones that I wish I could answer too. But you'll way, to step one. Up, way to step up the question game, Discord. I love it. I oh, love man. Good questions out there. Yeah, they, they crushed it this week. Absolutely. Nice. Well, that's game. Good luck.